0: this is essential.
1: Essential. 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 essential
0: this is essential audio what I'm so excited about in in being able to help small businesses you know is first and foremost being able to enable their passions and their dreams just playing a small part um, to help but but to be able to help them you know I also think um, you know in many ways that this is this is really the the American story right That
1: was David Rusenko the general manager for e-commerce at Square, and welcome to The Money Pot, our podcast at Money 2020. I'm Sanjeev Khalida, editor-in-chief at Money 2020, and I'm here with Rachel Morrissey, producer at Money 2020 USA. Hey, Rachel.
2: Hey, Sanjeev. Looking forward to the coming year here, and I'm happy we're kicking off by talking about the digitization of SMEs or SMBs, as we call them in the States. Concerns about SMEs are at the forefront of a lot of innovation in fintech, and we are about to see fintech play a big role in helping them recover and move forward.
1: I agree. Different countries are at different stages, but in the U.S. and Europe, we're experiencing a winter surge of the pandemic that the common person didn't expect, or at least hoped wouldn't happen. As that continues, we have to continue to anticipate what SMEs will need to survive and even thrive In this pandemic. So I asked David Rosenko to speak to us about his ideas as he leads Square's e commerce efforts about where we are and how to move forward.
2: This is great because Square has basically built a nose to toe service for an SME financial relationship. I think their moves in the last couple of years have set them up to be a big part of SME resurgence.
1: I agree. And as someone who has designed a lot of user experiences, I asked him about any philosophies that he adheres to as he leads teams creating products and experiences at
0: Square. My philosophy has always been the most important thing is, is deeply understanding and appreciating uh, your customer's struggles, their pain points. Um, and there's that famous Steve Jobs quote around, um, you know, my customers don't, you know, they don't know what they want. I tell them what they want, right? Or something like that, right? And, and, and I actually think that's fairly misunderstood I think that, you know, if you look at Apple and the way that they they build and design products, they understand their customer struggle very, very deeply. They spend a lot of time talking to customers and understanding the pain points. Um, I think what Steve Jobs was trying to say is that I don't listen to the customer's proposed solutions. You know, a lot of times you'll talk to someone and they say, you know, it, it's, it's, it's that classic Henry Ford quote of, you know, if I would ask my customers, they would have told me, you know, to give them a faster horse, right? And so I think the point being... You know, he, he understood very deeply the, whole, the, the, the problem was the transportation problem getting from point A to point B and came up with a better solution to that problem. Um, and, and to that end, there's, there's a really good framework that we use um, at Square, but, um, uh, but many other companies use it as well called the Jobs to be Done framework. And, you know, it's that same concept, which is instead of framing your product um, in, in the context of what does it do, you frame it in the context of what, what problem or what job are your customers hiring you to solve?
2: The last part, what job are your customers asking a product to do? It's taken from Clayton Christensen's book, Competing Against Luck, and the most famous example from the book is the McDonald's milkshake study. McDonald's hired him to increase sales of their milkshakes during breakfast hours. So Christensen did a survey with McDonald's customers that bought milkshakes in the morning and found out that most of them did it because they were filling, less guilt-ridden than soda or candy, and they could consume it on their commute. So he recommended making the shake slightly thicker to increase the value in fulfilling those jobs and their sales jumped.
1: Wow. Well, following Clayton Christensen's advice has been pretty useful. I also love that he cleared up the idea about what Steve Jobs said. You definitely want to listen intently to your customer problems and pain points, but it is your job to create the best possible solutions. That is at the heart of all innovation. So we turned our attention to more specific issues around SMEs. Okay, so
2: what do you think is the first job that needs to be done for SMEs?
1: A big issue for SMEs is that being digital wasn't necessarily the norm. A growing trend pre-pandemic was the issue SMEs had in meeting customers where they are instead of insisting that people come to them.
0: A big uh, decades-long trend was really a shift to, uh, you know, increasing consumer power in the purchasing relationship. And so, you know, if you if you put yourself back um, about twenty years, um, you know, it, it, it was much more common to see businesses really have control over that relationship, and they would dictate the terms of the interaction. So, so, so that used to be the norm, and and, and we're really seeing this this big transition and shift over towards uh, consumers having. Um, a lot more of the power to dictate the terms of the interaction, and and so how how that really manifests itself uh, is through consumers saying, "I want to do business with you on my terms, when it's convenient for me, and in the places that are convenient for me."
2: Well, this was a shift even before the pandemic. But like we keep saying, COVID was an accelerant that turned a want into a need. I mean, with lockdowns, restricted movement, closed restaurants and entertainment venues, it wasn't just that consumers wanted you to be online. They needed you to be online.
1: It isn't just that they need you to be online. You need to be online where your customers are in order to succeed businesses need to be on many platforms, processing orders simultaneously.
0: And so increasingly this does place a burden um, on businesses who need to be present in more than one channel. Um, They need to be present in the channels where their customers are because increasingly one channel isn't enough. It's just not enough. It's just not a large enough piece of the pie, um, you know, to really be able to help a business thrive. And so, you know, the real challenges are when you're present in one channel, um, you know, a lot of times you can keep track of that on the back of the napkin with pen and paper. And um, when you expand into multiple channels, that's just not possible anymore. It sort of it sort of breaks that 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 manual tracking system. And you need to adopt a technology platform that helps you track and scale your business, really helps you di- digitize your operations. And so so while there is some upfront um, you know, work involved in getting there um, on, on the other side of that, you're actually able to uh, be very reactive to consumer uh, preferences.
2: You know, I really feel for businesses that had to adapt so quickly. I mean, I know that some won't make it. While I know that leaves room for growth of new ideas, too, it, it seems like they had to completely shift their thinking overnight.
1: I feel for them, too. But there is a blessing for those that could adapt quickly. First, they know they can shift when necessary. Second, it was a lot of heavy lifting, but now they're in much better shape to move forward when the pandemic ends. They'll probably have some cash flow issues that will need to be addressed through policy,
0: but their systems are in better shape. When you look, though, at what the benefits of that can be, is that, okay, there's upfront effort to, uh, to digitize the operations of your business. On the other side of that, it actually brings a lot of opportunity because... You're able to uh, grow your business by um, by catering and addressing uh, to more consumers. You're able to um, have more efficiency. Um, you're you're able to reduce your cost by limiting waste and um, and having less manual costs. And so, on the other side of this, I actually think adopting a platform like this makes you know puts businesses in a much stronger position to thrive.
2: It feels a little survival of the fittest.
1: Well, in a way, it is. The theory is about adaption. The ones that can adapt to their circumstances earliest and pass through those adopted traits on are the ones that survive.
2: You have a lot of practice with adaption. I mean, didn't you move a lot as a child? I mean, what did that teach you about adapting?
1: I did, and I consider it a blessing now because it taught me to move forward. I learned to embrace change. I think my career in tech is partially due to the fact that I find change exciting and invigorating.
2: Well, I can see that, but it can also be overwhelming and exhausting. I mean, did David have ways that he felt fintechs could help with that?
1: Actually, he and I both think that is what fintech can do. It can really simplify all the multi-channel complexity.
0: You know, the number one thing to understand um, about Square's offering is that, you know, it's built first as a platform. And um, and and what I mean by that is it's not merely a a collection of products and and there are a really, you know, a lot of products for varying needs, uh, you know, for businesses of all shapes and sizes. So not only does Square have um, a really fantastic uh, set of products, but but it's really built on a shared platform where all products integrate and work together really, really well. And, um, you know, you can track. Um, your orders and your customers. And, you know, you could kind of track everything. Everything feeds into one central place that helps you um, manage your business and, and stay on top of the exponentially increasing complexity.
1: I really admire Square's sense of eliminating complexity for the business owner.
2: I agree. When we did our series on SMBs, one of the major points was that business owners didn't get into business to do finance. Bakers don't bake cakes so they can do banking.
1: Exactly. And creating a completely integrated platform also gave several businesses avenues to create new revenue streams that wouldn't have been part of the core business experience.
0: So another example uh, you know, is um, a restaurant in the pandemic that, 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 first of all, as a lot of restaurants did, um, you know, started selling uh, when, when there's a shortage of goods, they started selling um, home goods. So, you know, things like uh, flour uh, or even toilet paper. So, you know, in some ways that they've become a retailer, then obviously they have their food um, for pickup. Um, you know, they also, um, a lot of businesses also started selling uh, donated meals to first responders. And so in that way, uh, you have elements of, um, uh, you know, of nonprofit. And then finally, uh, we saw some restaurants that, were able to um, uh, basically sell a, a meal kit and then that evening there would be um, you know a zoom session with the chef you know so that um, everyone could prepare the food together and, and and kind of a mini cooking class and and social event all at the same time. And so you know with with that one example, you see elements of retail, you see elements of services and events, you see elements of you know, your classic food and drink and elements of nonprofit all mixed together. And you know I think, I think one of the things that makes um, square Square's platform really powerful, Um, is that it's not catered to just one vertical. It's really, um, you know, can help with with just a wide range of businesses.
1: In many ways, those that were very creative about what their value proposition was were enabled to branch out.
2: Yeah, a restaurant experience is about the food, but much more. I mean, it can also be about trying things that are beyond our expertise in the kitchen. I mean, I did a Zoom cooking class with a meal kit during the last few months, and it's pretty low stress and fun. I mean, it was a great redirection by that chef.
1: That's a great example. And I, I also believe that it also allowed us to move forward on payment solutions across all experiences. Contactless payments have been discussed for years, but they didn't become a selling point until the pandemic, when worries about transmission by touching cash, increased.
2: And the concern was both for patrons and employees. I mean, not having employees touch cards or cash has been in the works for a long time.
0: I think, you know, not, not only is this interesting during the pandemic, but, but it's also something that a lot of us have been wanting for a really long time, even before the pandemic. The idea that, you know, so solving a lot of these really perennial, um, perennial problems related to, to dining out. Things like splitting the check, you know, each, each party can scan their own QR code and order independently. You don't have to pass back and forth menus and, um, you know, things like, uh, you know, flagging someone down um, to get another drink. Uh, you know, things like having to wait to pay at the end when you're finished with your meal or the ability to just check yourself out quickly and leave, almost like, um, you know, getting out of an Uber. So, um, so, so, so these are, you know, a lot of perennial problems that, um, you know, that we've wanted to solve for a long time. Um, and, and now we're launching solutions that, that, that both help from you know, a safety perspective, but as well as provide more consumer conveniences.
2: Of course, the solution most restaurants employ depended on customers having a smartphone. And many of these solutions can exacerbate the difficulties for those who are unbanked or dislike the insistence to adapt to those technologies.
1: That's true. And I think that is a discussion we will have to tackle. But generally, consumer behavior isn't going back. I asked David what he thought about requiring certain technology. He insisted that we need to keep making ways to include everyone, but he made a really interesting point.
0: There's definitely a technology adoption curve. You know, as as you mentioned with the QR code, you know that 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 presupposes um, that someone has a smartphone that they're able to scan. Um, but um, you know, but. But in many ways, you know, we're, we're, we're by, by making the technology more intuitive, more accessible, we're actually lowering the bar um, to adoption and making that accessible to more small businesses. That, and that applies equally, you know, whether that's a small business adopting our technology platform or whether that's a consumer scanning the QR code.
1: By making technology intuitive, it lowers the pain points of adoption, both for consumers and business owners. And part of his goal at Square is to create products and services that are both hyper-functional and beautiful. And I hit on that because one way that Square has stood out is their attention to the beauty of their hardware.
0: I think from our perspective, it is really important because at the end of the day, what you place on your counter or the website that your customers visit it it's a reflection of your business and so you want something that is of high quality because um, you know a lot of customers coming through there there it's going to be a primary interaction point and so you know having something that's not merely functional but also beautiful um, you know it really helps convey uh, you know, a lot about your brand and your business. And so, so it is something that, that we really put a lot of effort into.
2: Yeah, I look at Square or Apple or anyone whose hardware design is considered exceptional. And beauty is always part of the equation. I think it's about more than it being pretty or inside the business. You know, he, he mentions, oh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a customer see it. But I think when something is beautiful, we trust it more. We know that great care and thought has gone into every aspect. And having beautiful hardware is a signal that their user experience can be trusted as well.
1: I agree. I think about how we choose a car. We think about color, shape, make, model, how it looks in the sunshine. In the end, it is just a mode of transportation. But we get so much pleasure from the beauty of it. It's about much more in the end. That is it for this episode of The Money Pot. We want to thank David Rusenko from Square for his insights and ideas. We also want to thank our producer Roland Bodenham for gearing up for this new year.
2: We are excited about how The Money Pot can bring you value in upcoming episodes. And if you have a suggestion, please email us at podcast at money2020.com. If you like us, please talk us up to your fintech friends and go review us. We aren't shy. We would love to hear from you. Here's to a great 2021.
1: This is essential. 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 essential essential. This is essential audio.